0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm, RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360,
0: fuel your brand. Uh, all right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, Greg Kotikia on the Rider Flex podcast. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah. Well, before we get into the company and on and all that good stuff, by the way, I like the background. I, I got the gut rebranded. Looks good. <laughs> I like, it. I like it. Like uh, it. Before we get into that, though, um, t- talk to the listeners a little bit about you personally, just, you know, family, early life, where you grew up, mom, dad, siblings, you know, some of that type of stuff, if you don't mind. Uh, thank you for that opportunity. Again, thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. Uh, um, so I grew up in
1: Pittsburgh uh, in uh, classic uh, middle class working family. Uh, dad was an engineer, came from a family of engineers. Uh, my, my uncle was an engineer, my brother's an engineer, a uh, lot, lot, of, lot of engineers, civil engineers, electrical engineers, um, and uh, went to, uh, grew up right outside of Pittsburgh in a little township called Brentwood. And uh, uh, I was a musician early on growing up, uh, loved music, played good uh, clarinet, saxophone, flute. All kinds of bands, marching band, jazz band, any band. Uh, I was in it. Very, very. You know, a lot of people don't realize. I know most people think of ath- athletics as very competitive. I think for those of us who were in uh, mm-hmm. uh, in different types of bands and orchestra, don't realize just how competitive may not be physically as competitive, but it's very competitive. Uh, and I was very dedicated. I wanted to go into music actually, and uh, and then my dad convinced me to be uh, an
0: engineer. <laughs> 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 did you try to make? Did you try to make the band uh, at University of Pittsburgh? Did you try to get uh, on, or did you did you play? Oh yeah, and uh, I, I did, but uh, you know, engineering is such a
1: heavy course load that um, I had to make that uh, change between: do I want to finish my studies or do I do that? I did end up though working. I, I worked in a music store in high school,
0: and well, I stayed working want?
1: in that music store all. All through college. It was called Spratz Music Store.
0: Sprats, All right. Uh, Very good.
1: It does, it does not exist anymore today, uh, but it was a guitar store. And being a woodwinds guy, I can tell you, that's where I first got my taste of learning how to sell, oh. uh, because I, I realized that uh, you really didn't have to know. You didn't have to be an expert. At being an expert guitar player to actually sell these guitars. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a good experience, but I, I did say it to your earlier question. I did stay in music and I taught lessons uh, at, at the music store and everything. And it was uh, it was a great experience in my life. I still
0: very much love music. Very good. What a cool job to have during high school. I mean, well, I mean, you know, if you're gonna have to work in high school, it's a lot better than working at the Sonic flipping burgers, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you're surrounded with, and we were we were
1: a really good high-end guitar store, so we had Martins and Fenders and Gibsons, and oh. we had all really nice guitars. So you're sitting there, and you know, it's like, okay, it's downtime. Which
0: one do I want to pick
1: up and just mess around?
0: Well, you got to know the product, right? You got to know the product to be able to sell it. So therefore, you're justifying playing it a little bit. I like that. You're very good. Okay, cool. So that was my background.
1: Uh, any siblings? You said how many? Siblings? Uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a brother who's also an engineer yeah. uh, and uh, ended up in a similar space. Uh, he's in uh, Florida now, uh, serving as an innovation officer for a major
0: healthcare organization. Okay, very good. And folks, still folks, still in uh, Pittsburgh, still live. How are they doing? Uh, my parents are deceased, uh, uh, but
1: uh, I have, uh, I have uh, three children. Uh, I have a, a son, Ethan, who's uh, in his early 20s uh, and right. lives just south of here. And uh, I have um, uh, an older son, Brendan, who works for the city of Pittsburgh and is a budget analyst for the city of Pittsburgh. I have a daughter, Elizabeth, who is a nurse, uh, works for uh, local uh, uh, university healthcare system.
0: You didn't mention wife. You're a single guy. You're on the market.
1: I am not on the market. My lovely wife is Kelly, who is oh, also okay. in high tech marketing and product. Okay. And uh, she is, uh, and we're both working at home. She has relegated me during COVID to the basement because <laughs> uh, I make too much noise and talk too loud and
0: laugh too loud. And uh, <laughs> we've been together for a long time. Uh, oh, very, very good. Very good. No grandchildren yet? One grandchild. Thank
1: you for asking. And her name is Lucy Andrew, And she just joined us about four
0: months ago. Ooh, have you decided what you're gonna be called? Are you gonna be like papa, grandpa? what's what's your I I don't I, I don't care what I'm called, as long as I'm around
1: to be called something. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just happy he's here and i'm here at the same time that's all good
0: <laughs> right very cool very cool uh very good okay steelers fan lifelong steelers fan i'm guessing you can... uh i
1: i am certainly because you grew up in pittsburgh it's hard not to be and, and when i grew up of course we had the uh steelers in yeah. the 70s uh, yeah. but i have to be honest with you when I, I i was at that age where where um you know uh the, the, the team right before the Steelers people forget was this team called the Minnesota Vikings. They mm. were pretty, uh, they were pretty big. And so as a kid growing up, because pe- the Steelers were, you know, not what people think of them today. And yeah. so we grew up as kids, we wore Vikings stuff all the time. <laughs> until, Is that right? Until the Steelers got to be like, Oh, they won two. Sur- I guess we should start liking this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right i remember those the viking the purple people eaters and uh they had an allen page They had a bunch of, a bunch of hall of Famers in there.
1: we yeah. used to wear i my brother had the wally hilgenberger uh, uh, uh lineman jersey we had uh fran tarkenton who was a quarterback because yeah. right it was the mid-70s and really wasn't until 74 75 that the steelers really started that right you know they they were the bottom of the barrel in terms of teams for that's for, right. for, for 40 years but I, I, my, my real love, my real love, though, is my beloved Pitt Panthers. So ah. I, am a, I am a college football guy. All right. Uh, I'm not sure I like all the changes that are happening right now in college football. Uh, mm. It's kind of, mm. uh, but, but I do, I love college football. And I was blessed to be at the um, University of Pittsburgh when we had people like Tony Dorsett and Dan Marino and cool, uh, uh, you, uh, you know, you green and many, many others. And uh, so my first love is, is my, is my, is my pit Panthers, which it's been about 40 years since they did anything.
0: So it's been <laughs> <laughs> uh, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks a lot. So, okay cool. Let's move. When you got out of school, uh, you went right, you get, you got your MBA right away. Did you know, did, did you have a certain goal in mind? Did, were you already thinking you wanted to be an executive? Were you thinking, no, I just want to run my own, my own consulting firm. I want to be an entrepreneur. Was there a plan? <laughs> there, there was never a plan.
1: I'm <laughs> uh, uh, very opportunistic to be honest with you. So uh, I, I, here, true story. I'll kind of get, fill in the, that gap that you just talked uh, uh, okay. about, which is I, I, I was an engineer. I never wanted to be an engineer. I still remember drinking beers on my fraternity uh, house uh, roof with a bunch of other guys that got their engineering degree, degree saying, what the hell am I going to do with this engineering degree? <laughs> Um, I, 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 I intentionally went for what I thought was the easiest engineering degree possible, which is industrial engineering, as my dad called it, imaginary engineering. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I went into sales and well, my mother cried for only about six months, you know, uh, and, uh, but I went into industrial sales. I was called a sales engineer. Uh, right. I went to work for a company called Cutler Hammer, which is now Eaton Corporation. Okay. Uh process controls and heavy mechanical equipment and things like that. I loved it. I loved it. And I love selling, but I found myself um, I found myself too much still like I wanted to be closer to the product. I didn't want to be the engineer of the product, but I wanted to define the strategy and what it did. I didn't want to necessarily sell the product, but I wanted to define like what the product did and how it fit the market. Product so, manager. Like, Said, Thank you. So I was like, okay, I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a salesperson. What am I? And right I, right in I, between. And I yeah. said, oh, I'm, I guess I'm a product manager. I guess I should go do that. <laughs> and, and, when, and when I went to go do that, people said to me, oh, you're a sales guy. You, you, yeah. you, you can't do that. And I said, well, what do you need to do? And they said, well, you at least have to have an MBA. In those days, you had that. Oh, my God. Uh, couldn't be a product manager. So I just said, oh, I guess I got to get an MBA. So okay. at night school, I got my MBA. Still couldn't get hired as a product manager because I was a sales guy. So the only person that would hire me was a startup. A start, There was a startup in machine vision and robotics here in Pittsburgh called American Robot. And a guy mm-hmm. named Bruce DaCosta, who I actually just heard from this last year. It's been so many years ago. But I owe Bruce DaCosta a big time because Bruce gave me a chance when nobody else would. So awesome. Bruce said, you want to be a product manager? You can be the product manager here. I was like, great. I didn't even know what a startup was. But I was like,
0: okay, I'll do this. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right. Okay, go. And so that was your first uh, venture into startup. That was an eye-opening experience. How many employees? Oh, my God. It was.
1: You know what? Just as you said. Talk about eye opening. I had no clue what I was doing or what I got into. I had no, I knew nothing about venture capital, raising money, uh, all the, I, you know, the whole pace and all let alone you're sitting in Pittsburgh, you're not in Silicon Valley or Austin or Boston. It's like a whole different world. Right. And uh, yeah, we were at around 10 to 15 employees when I joined. Okay. We had been given five million dollars by BMW Venture Capital. These were the days when major companies would have a venture capital arm. There's still a few vestiges of that left. BMW yeah. was very interested in improving their, you know, factories and manufacturing. So they, they had a venture capital arm. So we did machine vision for quality inspection. Okay. It was supposed to put us. Uh, I forget at the time, I think we were supposed to produce like four or five different products in machine vision, some attached to robots, some standalone inspection units, whatever. And I was the product manager for this. And I think we we pretty much spent all that money and built one product. <laughs> <laughs> After about two years. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what we did. <laughs> then I ran out of cash. We ran out of cash. We did. Yeah, and, gotcha. Uh, and, and that and BMW... And- BMW got out of the VC business and we had a mother ship company called American robot that was in the robotics business. And they, we were
0: separately held and they kind of just sucked us in. I see. uh, I see. I see. And that was, that was how you entered startup and then life took off for you then. Right. And then now all of a sudden you're a startup guy. (laughs) Well, I, I, I I definitely got labeled that,
1: but was funny because there was a great hardware engineer. This is the mid to late eighties. Great hardware engineer, a guy named Russ Schwears, who said was a great friend of mine who uh, had had more experience in startups. He actually been in Boston startups and everything like that. And he said to me, Greg, if I were you, I would go into software. You got to get out of hardware. Right. <laughs> software, software is the future. And I was looking at Russell. I'm thinking, okay, where's their software company in
0: Pittsburgh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he actually yeah. one day he was looking through the Wall Street Journal. He said, Hey. IBM is introducing these new mainframes and there's a company in Pittsburgh called Duquesne systems. You got to go interview there as a product
0: manager. And you 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 didn't know know, how to write code. You didn't know how to write code or anything, right? You weren't, you weren't. No. Okay.
1: (laughs) The last thing I knew how to do in terms of writing code was from college. I ran some Fortran (laughs) four. I don't know what that means. (laughs) It was a very old, uh, language that was uh, called Fortran. And, uh, but it was funny because they did ask me and i remember on in the interview with the hr person do you know anything about mvs which was the operating system of mainframes?" and i'm like yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the bookstore that night i'm looking up what the hell is mvs
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's how good. i got
1: into software to be honest with you so I, I became the first product manager at a company here locally called duquesne systems and See. that that was the second startup early stage company I was in. And that really was, that was a huge success. It went from $5 million to in the six years I was there, we were at $225 million. Wow. How, how about,
0: did you have equity?
1: Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it was quite a ride. Uh, you know, we, uh, we grew both organically and through acquisition. Uh, eventually merged with a couple other companies, became a four hundred million dollar company, and got bought by CA Technologies for I think a billion two or, or a billion five. I can't remember, but wow. nineteen ninety two. Wow! And yeah, that, was so your, that, was, that, that was
0: your first. That was your first successful exit where you had some vested equity.
1: Correct. And You know the problem with that when you're young and you have that kind of success, you think that you you you, you have no humility.
0: You haven't been kicked in the shorts yet. Yeah. Right. You're like, Oh, this is is easy. Yeah. No problem. Just do this. I'll do this a bunch of times. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's the, that's the lie I told myself. I was like, ah, okay. I must be really good. I'm just going to do this again. (laughs) Uh, You made some money right there. Uh, Hold on just a second, Greg. Hold on a minute. Sure. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get, I want to come back. So Greg, did you, did you make enough to re, you didn't make enough to retire right there? Right. No. Yeah. You know, obviously you had, okay. But you made a little cash. So that's, congratulations. Uh, I, I, made, I made some money. It was, a, it was a good
1: ride. Uh, I did lose some money. Cause I, 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 I ended up getting divorced and, uh, <laughs> And uh, so, uh, you know, life takes its ups and downs, and uh, and and, and mine was uh, mine was like that as well. So, I um, I pretty much I almost had to start all over again. Pretty
0: much. Wow, you know, isn't isn't that how life hits you? Right, one minute one minute you're out celebrating, you're like, wow, casting this equity, you got a little cash here, and the next thing you know, you're giving half of it away to your ex wife. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was a it was a uh, it, it was a long journey, but you know it was a good when you look back on it, it's one of those things that you. Um... It, it, it was a good thing because not only did, you, you got humbled, right? Mm. And you lost everything. When it, when you come around and you go through the wilderness, I think everybody has a career, part of their career in the wilderness, right? Right, right. And uh, I, I think about the next eight years of my life or, or 10 years of my life, I was definitely in the wilderness of a, a variety of different startups and trying to find out where I fit and how to repeat that success. And why didn't it work the same way again? And blah, blah, blah. And then towards uh, the end of the 90s, I found another company in Rockville, Maryland, uh, called Accent, A-X-E-N-T, that I interviewed for. A friend of mine said, oh, why don't you you meet this guy, Brett Jackson? And uh, I said, oh, Brett Jackson, I met him 10 years ago. I'll never work for that guy. And, (laughs) and, And I... And I, I interviewed with them and I was like, I'm going to take this job. I can't believe this. And I ended up working for Brett and uh, uh, w- was one of the best relationships and one of the best uh, uh, one of the best jobs I ever had. Uh, I ended up, Accent was a little larger than Duquesne Systems was. It was probably $25, $30 million, but still small, right? Okay. Yep. Yep. And we, we grew it to about 115. It went public, uh, grew it to about $115 million dollars. And sold it to Symantec, the people that own Norton, or did at the time. And okay. uh, we sold it for a billion dollars uh, right before the dot com crash.
0: Woo! Uh, nice, nice. Your second exit with a little bit of equity for some cash payoff for Greg. It, that one was, that was beautiful, and I can tell you that I enjoyed it much better the
1: second time. And realized what <laughs> I had. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, very good. All right. What great learning experience, by the way. I mean, you know, fantastic experience to be able to go through that and a couple of exits now. Plus, you hit some failures and failures in there. Now I'm starting to now I'm starting to realize why you wrote the book. Uh, (laughs) You know, now because yeah, I'm looking, you know, I look, I'm studying in your LinkedIn profile. I'm doing some history on you and I'm like, well, I can't really tell. But now I see. Right. By the way, for the listeners, start your startup Right. Uh, is the book right and it can be found on uh, amazon and probably what any other type of bookstore that you you check and it's it's distributed everywhere uh,
1: both uh, uh ebook as well as hard copy you can get it at any uh, you know, barnes and nobles or you know books of men or whatever you want great
0: great, you great is there an audio edition so i can listen listen while i'm on my, my treadmill no just you just you and me <laughs> <laughs> okay You know, you're, you're super entertaining with your personality. You have such a lively, energetic, positive personality. You should think about doing an audio, but anyway, another I appreciate that feedback. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Kotikia, start your startup, right. You can uh, check out the book on Amazon. Okay. So anyway, you're now, you're, you're going through these experiences. Okay. All right. Now you, when you exit that, that last one, Made a little money. Now you're, you're taking some time off again, or where are you at in life? Yeah, at you know what? I uh,
1: I came back home. I ran a few other uh, startups. Uh, I went back and forth between Pittsburgh and D.C. Uh, I did a company called Logic Library. Not exactly a home run. I did a, another company called Cloakware that we sold. I um, uh, did a company called Approva that I sold. Um, but these were not these were kind of like either fire sales or kind of eh, you know okay. they, weren't, they weren't great yeah. uh, so my, 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 my next one though that I really and it's probably the most enjoyable experience I ever had in working working period was okay. a company called eBilling Hub and uh, yeah so you know I was hired there because I had such deep experience in the law firm space. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, proving once again you don't need domain expertise to be successful Um, all right i hope
0: i I hope all the hiring managers out there are listening because riderflex as you know we're a recruiting firm i don't know how many times we put great candidates in front of people and are like well he's never sold blue office chairs so he probably uh, can't sell anyway uh, another conversation yeah. all, all i tell
1: people when i hear that by the way is i i remind them you you mentioned the steelers early on mike tomlin <laughs> never played a down of professional football in his life see you know right <laughs> it, it, it was, he was a college football player at william and mary not exactly a powerhouse
0: <laughs>
1: he's done all right as a he's done all right two super yeah Bowls and, uh, exactly. you know what and a, and a
0: great number two winning percentage sometimes it's all about uh you know you it's not about you. the perfect resume match. Next time I'm trying to get a candidate in front of a client and they won't listen to me because he hasn't sold blue chairs, I'm going back, look, call, I want you to call my friend Greg and talk to him for a minute. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, here, so it's, Here's E. Billingham,
1: I'll tell you. So I had a friend that was an attorney uh, and uh, he had another friend who was a CFO at a law firm. And he was working with the IT person and they noticed that they were getting more and more. This is like 2006, seven, somewhere around in there. And they said, oh, getting lots and lots of uh, big customers asking us to file everything electronically so that they can really manage the hours and see the hour and compare across all the law firms, Mm. all the hours and how much money they're spending. Mm -hmm. And it's really painful. They've got all these electronic formats and different pieces of software and it's complicated, blah, blah, blah. So they built this piece of software internally, right, at the, a local Pittsburgh law firm. Okay. And then they, they licensed it from that law firm and decided to build a company around it, right? Okay, yeah. Sounds good. Right. If we solve a problem here, maybe we can solve a problem at other law firms. Great. And they really struggled for a while. And um, so I was in between gigs, and uh, the, the one guy calls me up and says, hey, would you just do some consulting for us? Six months, see if this dog hunts. See if you can sell this thing, great, <laughs> fine. <laughs> exactly what I said, I said, okay, whatever. I'll, you know, I got nothing else to do. I'll see if, we, <laughs> see if we can get some product market fit here, you know. And exactly. uh, long story short, is uh, literally, this was a company founded by two immigrants, uh, one from Spain, another uh, from Venezuela. Uh, okay. The Venezuelan uh, uh, individual. Uh, was the person that ran IT at that law firm that they licensed from and we were started this is this is better than the man and dog story i was literally in the second bedroom of their townhouse is where we started this business
0: <laughs> i love it oh, love every day
1: it. i ran sales he ran he ran engineering and then we'd
0: figure out how to do everything else
1: and we the company took, was
0: boot, the company was bootstrapped by the business they were bringing in from the law firm right they were cash flowing it from that took no money from anyone All the money came from customers. Oh, how about that? Okay, all right. Cash flow positive uh, right up front. They had revenue right up front. Okay, very good. Well, they were starving for two years right up front. (laughs) 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 There was no cash flow. (laughs) Uh.
1: But I'll tell you what we did. We, we kind of figured out the marketplace and what, you know, what Eric Ries would talk about as Lean Startup or Steve Blank would talk about, and, yeah. you yeah. know, or Dan Olson would talk about product market fit. We got out there. We got bloodied with the product. I asked lots of stupid questions because I didn't know the marketplace. Mm. I asked them how they solved the problem today, what the problem is, really focused on those issues. We kind of reoriented the product, reformed it, figured out a lot about the selling process as well as different personas. Long story short is we built that company up, Bootstrap, sold it to Thomson Reuters, an $11 billion company. Mm-hmm. And while it was not a billion-dollar sale, it was in the millions of dollars we sold this company. How about there were it? only four wow. of us as owners, and it was wow. Wow. it was the highlight of uh, – it was a great small deal, great SaaS deal. Today, that's a $100 million
0: product for Thomson Reuters. How about that? Congratulations. Well, wow. plus, what, what an experience – you're getting to go through all the M&A, all the deals, all the negotiations, all of that, right? right? Now you're now you're now you're getting super experienced. Congratulations. By the way, selling into law firms is oh. not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> I used I mean, to tell people I said we now. sold we sold to CFOs and law firms. And I pause and I say, that's a double negative. That is a double <laughs> negative. That's a double <laughs> negative. You're totally right. You're totally right for the <laughs> listeners. And we could get into that more. But yeah, I mean, that is hard to get those meetings. It's hard to get them to change. It's hard to get them to try stuff that's new. Plus, you got the CFO sitting there going, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they are the uh, representatives
1: <laughs> yeah. of being technology laggards. I don't know how many conversations I would have that would start off of can't. And, and it's just this very, uh, uh, you know, uh, gender, uh, it's a lot of gender issues, but they would literally say, can't we find a girl that we can hire that can do that for us for $30,000 a year? Uh, right. and, and I was like, oh, my God, there's this no sense of building a automated process that can scale and save money. You know why?
0: You know, well, most of the time, I think I really think the reason why then we can move on. But I think the part of the reason is these guys are all making decent money. Right. So they're already bringing in 250 grand a year. They live in a nice neighborhood. They're like, you know, I'm fine. We've been doing it this way for years, Greg. This is working. We've always done it this way. I brought home 300 grand last year. I don't know why we need this. You know, those kind of (laughs) you're 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 exactly right. And you know what? Uh,
1: uh, Last story, I need billing up. Where we unlocked the value of that product had mm. nothing to do with actually solving the electronic billing problem, which was the primary value proposition of the product. Mm. It was actually selling the CFO on how they could do cash distribution and collections faster Sweet. so that they could pay the partners more money at the end of the year on their distributions. And Bingo!
0: Company- Bingo. Once we showed them that, then they were interested. Yeah, you're like, look, yeah, like, look. I just have one slide for you. It's right here. Look at this. Okay, cool. I'm gonna send you a, an agreement. <laughs> that was it. I'm telling you. But that was the big Sweet. aha moment
1: with that product. Was That's figuring great. out that That's oh so my good. god, these guys are need
0: they need the don't have the cash visibility for the partner distributions. That's mm. when we can sell. Love it, love it. Okay, cool. Now at this point. That's your third exit. With uh, I mean, it's more. You've had more exits, but this is your third, third successful big exit. Now you made probably some really good money. Now can you retire? Now are you like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to chill for a little bit. I'm going to do some consulting. I was. I was. I was done. And I went to work for the University
1: of Pittsburgh, and I, I, my That's alma mater. And I went to work for what they call the Innovation Institute there, and I was yeah. teaching students. Teaching. And yeah. At teaching, I still teach there, but I'm teaching there and uh, life is uh, good. Uh, doing accelerator, doing consulting, and having fun. And then I get a call from the small private school up the street called Carnegie Mellon University, and they say, "Hey, we're starting this master's degree program in product management. How would you like to help us launch, build it, and launch?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, that would be fun. Well, that would be cool." You know? Yeah. So I moved up the street and uh, changed in my blue and gold for my tart and stuff. And, uh, and I went and I, and I, and I started that program. We grew it from nothing. I, I got to be the product manager of the product management degree, which was.
0: How about that? That's pretty cool.
1: And, and I still got to teach and I got to teach. I was the only guy teaching at Pitt and that CMU and doing all that stuff. Right. And I, and I was a great gig. And yeah. then after six, seven years of just like, this is a great life. I I, this company I get invited to meet this company called Sophion because they're looking for an outside board member and and they're in innovation and product management and and I and and a friend of mine introduced me to them and you know hey would you do some consulting for us sure I do consulting happy to do that and you know the next thing you know
0: I know how it happens
1: (laughs) back in the I'm back in the race.
0: <laughs> what happened? I had a good life. <laughs> well, what happened is what happened is you went to a few meetings and the, the leadership team sitting there listening to you, going, "Holy shit, we need this guy on our team." Hey, Greg, what are you doing? Hey, can you come come help us, man? Come run this thing. <laughs> and then, so anyway, and- I did consulting, and I became president, and now
1: I'm CEO, succeeding the original CEO, Andy Machuda, and uh, I I love it. It's a great ride. It's very comfortable. It's a space I love. We're helping great brands like Merck and Procter & Gamble and Honeywell and and, and just wonderful worldwide brands. It's a great company and um, really helping them innovate products. And it's got a great history, publicly held company, um,
0: just just doing great things. Give us the three-minute elevator pitch for the people that have no idea what Sofian does. Go for it. Sure. Well, we're in the innovation marketplace. Where we help people
1: with, uh, with, with their innovation efforts and new product development. Uh, we primarily focus on uh, several verticals, uh, such as uh, uh, consumer packaged goods and chemicals and uh, A&D, aerospace and defense, et cetera, uh, where we sell to uh, those that are in R&D or in product management or in both helping them actually define that next generation of products and selecting which bets to place in their portfolio uh, on those products so that they can continue to grow profitably and be more relevant competitively. Mm -hmm. Um, Years ago, the company started... Uh, with a methodology you may have heard of called the stage gate methodology, uh, mm-hmm. where you make decisions about you know, where you are with a product uh, at various uh, various tranches or milestones in terms of investment. And it was a risk mitigation strategy. In today's world, you know the world is all about agile and lean and how do we get products out faster that we can react to the marketplace. But we can help companies, and we do help companies, automate those processes to make better decisions and have better sources of information about those decisions. Mm, I like mm. to think of what we do as a decision support system over a business process model. So we okay. have a process of taking products to marketplace or making good decisions about portfolios. And we're helping you get the insights you need across your organization to make better decisions.
0: As a consulting firm or you're, it's a SaaS, you're a, we yeah. are you selling us?
1: We are a SaaS software company. Now, certainly, you can imagine because we have some big companies, so they're worldwide, global enterprise brands, uh, and we are. Uh, there is expertise and consulting that is vital to success in this business, but we are solidly a
0: product company. Okay, and the product uh, is it by is it? I guess the packages vary. Is it like? Uh, Per user, is it by month? Is it is it annual contracts? Is how how do you sell the what's the what's the business model? Uh, The business model is a user, right? And there are different levels of users uh, depending
1: on your involvement in the process, uh, whether you're a contributor or administrator or whatever it is. Uh, But it is also we uh, is an annual SaaS contract or
0: a three-year SaaS contract. Okay, all right. You know, and your leadership team. I'm thinking about your leadership team now that you're the CEO. You know who I wouldn't want to be if I was on your leadership team? The one position I wouldn't want is I wouldn't want to be the head sales guy because you could probably outsell anybody there. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, the sales guy, I could see that. The sales guy's coming into you, and he's he's trying to report on numbers or whatever. He's trying to report on his progress, and you're just kind of like, okay, no, like it can be better. You can close more. Well, I I am
1: I am really fortunate. Uh, I have a guy who runs Mia for me, and a guy that runs the U.S. for me. So I got two heads of sales, okay. and both of them are way better than I'll ever be. So they're really okay
0: really, really guys. Uh, do you get to go on some of the meet the big media? If you're trying to close a huge contract, do you tag along? I do, you know, COVID has certainly made it
1: challenging. But, I, you know, I started this uh, here at the company in October last year. And, of course, I hadn't really met anybody physically for quite some time. Right. Uh, but the, I would say the, one of the high points I've had uh, in terms of customer visits is I went out to visit a number of our customers here in July when things kind of opened back up again for a brief while before Delta raised its ugly head. Uh, but I got to visit our customers' ball. Uh, you probably know. the, oh, the yeah. ball. Inspiration. Yep. Um, yep. One company you probably never heard of, but I I got to know a lot of. It. It's called Laprino, and they are in Denver. They make they are yeah. the world's oh, largest yeah. mozzarella cheese company. Yeah. And let me yeah. tell you, two billion pounds of mozzarella cheese go on your Papa John's pizza and your Domino's pizza.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we help them with the innovation of you know what goes in that pizza, the uh, and what goes in that cheese, the cut, the style, everything about that. So nice, you know, nice we're helping companies like that. Um, uh, you know, 3M is one of our customers. Now How about it, that, it doesn't yeah. get any better than being in, in the innovation business and supplying your technology to a company
0: that is all about innovation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Now this is your first run, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time you've headed up a publicly traded company where you're dealing with stock price and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. That's a little bit new for you. Is that right?
1: Accent was a publicly held company. Uh, We were on NASDAQ. I was not the CEO. I was, uh, I led uh, marketing and product development and business development there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been in publicly held companies. It's been a while.
0: Uh, And this is the first (laughs) time actually in the seat as CEO running a publicly held company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Biggest, big, yeah. Biggest difference for you. Biggest challenge for you so far doing that versus private. What would you say that is? You know, you just have to be sensitive about information and what
1: level of transparency you're allowed publicly and, and, and you know, compliance wise, mm-hmm. um, you know, in some ways, you know, in a private company, even a startup, you're, you're, all, look, you, as Bob Dylan said, you got to work for somebody, right? You got to serve somebody. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, in, in a small company, you're reporting back to the VCs all the time, right? In a uh-huh. in a small company, you've got a board of directors. In this case, you can not only have a board of directors. But you've got outside investors and uh, and 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 those that follow the company that you've got to continually inform and sell, and they're another constituency, and so you've got to be aware and and what they care about, how they view the company is different than how you you know how you're going to sell or talk to 3M, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to
0: understand what's important to them as a customer. Yep, I noticed that the company had four or five major investors, right? or major stockholders, I guess I should say, uh, four or five. So you're dealing with those guys. I know your favorite thing is to prepare for those quarterly board meetings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there such thing as a fun board meeting? I don't know you, <laughs> <Right? that before. laughs>
0: you know, uh, yeah, I remember I never had to do it for a public company, but I remember coming out of those quarterly board meetings and I would just purposely Whatever the afternoon or the evening was after a board meeting, I would make sure it was totally blocked out because I would just be completely drained. I mean, I would come out of those going, okay, I can't do anything else the rest of the day except for maybe open up a glass of wine and sit here and veg out for, for, for two hours. <laughs> and, and That's pretty much what I do. <laughs> it, is, it is stressful. You know what, though?
1: It, it, the older I get, the more I look at that process, though, as purposeful. Oh, yeah you know, that, that journey of getting prepared and, you know, it it just makes you think what you're supposed to be doing, but it is, it is stressful. And uh, you want to make sure that you don't get, you know, caught in the gotcha questions that uh, always seem to pop up in a board meeting or an investor (laughs) meeting. (laughs) The best you can Uh, do is be prepared.
0: uh, Be prepared. I also suggest uh, if you can, you get the quarterly board book ready for the listeners. I used to send the information to the challenging board members a day or two in advance. Where I'd be like, "Okay, this this guy right here, I know is gonna <laughs> shoot holes and stuff." So I'm gonna drop this over here and be like, "Fred, listen, hey, you want Here's the stuff. I thought maybe you might want to call me one-on-one before the meeting. Let's just you can beat me up like ahead of time, and then when we get to the meeting, it's all you know. We'll have a lot more fun. By the way." That
1: is maybe one of the greatest pieces of advice I didn't learn till later on is and I always
0: tell people have the meeting before the meeting. Yes, especially with the challenging ones. Now the the other t- tip there for the listeners is the challenging board members who at the time you're thinking god, this guy's an asshole. But really like a lot of time th- those are really the ones that provide the most value, the ones that push you a little bit. You know, yes. the board the, the board members that just sit there and shake their head. Yes. And don't really contribute. I and mean, that doesn't do anything. That's, that's a waste of time. So,
1: you know, no, anyway no. And, and, <laughs> I, and I agree with you. I think it's those that challenge you, but you always know that they're also on your side and they're yeah, also right. on the side of the business, right? Yes. They, they are the ones that are going to push you to think through your mm-hmm. assumptions, your hypotheses, and they want to make the business better. So yep. as long as it's not a, you know, a personal ego trip. You end up with right. a few people in your life, as long as they're pushing you because they care about their investment,
0: they care about their
1: position, they care about the company. Those are great board members to have.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Yep, That's great advice. Okay. Let me ask you a few things here, you know, advice for the listeners on aspiring CEOs. Let's say there's somebody listening. They've been at the VP level, director level, whatever. They really want to make CEO. They want to be captain small to medium-sized company. I know you could do a whole podcast on that, but do you want to share two or three things? <laughs> two or three pieces of advice? What would, you, what would you tell them if they're listening right now?
1: Uh, make sure you really know, you know, that you really know what you want, right? Some people end up as CEO and they go, you know what, I was happier as the VP of development. I'll never take that job again. I, I, somebody else can have it. So be careful <laughs> what you want, right? Because it is not a job for everybody. Isn't that uh, the truth. and it's yes. okay. It's okay. If you don't want it after you get it, you just say to yourself, okay, I did this ride once and I, I don't want to, there's no shame in that whatsoever. You can be the happiest VP of sales or whatever you want to do. I, it doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the other thing is it is a lonely job that has never changed about it because you, right. you, you, you know, you can, you have to be careful about, you know, what you share, who you share with, etc. So you do need some friends and allies. You know, I have a group of people that I really trust that I still call um, and ask for advice and bounce things off of and say, what do you think about this situation? And so you need your kitchen cabinet. You need your group of people that are, you know, yes. kind of been there, done that, that you trust their you know their thought process. They don't have to be a former CEO, but even right. if they, you just need someone with that you respect and has good judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of walk through. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be afraid to not know, right? There's going to be a lot of things you don't know, right. and we're going to look for you to have all the answers. It's okay to not have all the answers. <laughs> Gee, it really is. Yep, it's, it's okay. okay and you know what to say? I don't know. And you know what? You'll go figure it out and you get somebody's help and maybe they want to help you with the person asking the question or since you
0: know, inquiring about it.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good.
0: Yeah. No so, doubt about it. You're, you're right. It is a very stressful, very lonely job. I, I, I say that to people all the time that have never been CEO. And I always kind of get this look and I just look on their face, like, okay, you don't really understand what I'm saying because until you live it, you don't really, you don't really know, <laughs> uh, but it is great to have relationships with other CEOs that have lived it, that do understand the loneliness of it, that you can talk to. I do think that's absolutely critical. One thing you mentioned, I wanted to highlight for the listeners. You know, I interview Writerflex is a recruiting firm for. That's what we do for a living, right? So we interview candidates for a living. I do a lot of the higher level stuff myself, even though the team's bigger now, which means I end up interviewing a lot of former sea level people that that like you said they checked the box they were a sea c-level person of some kind maybe not ceo but they were a c-level somewhere and now they're you know 55 60 65 whatever their their roller coaster is
1: on the, the other end right. on the other
0: side right some of them have a really hard time accepting that you know they're not going to be sea level forever like the head like hey you And I really just want to encourage the listeners. If you're listening to this podcast right now, like don't beat yourself up about that. Don't, don't, don't have extra stress on your life. Don't beat yourself up. There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong. Most people crest like that at some point, not we can't all be CEOs, right? There's only so many of those jobs. And so listen, if you were executive and and now you're a director and you're a little bit older, you know, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. By the way, at that stage in your career, you don't want that stress anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: right. Well, I, I, to a point, you know, I, I was with a, a security startup that I started uh, out of the University of uh, Alabama uh, called Mount Covery. And we raised about five million dollars, sold it off to a company called Fish Me. And then that that's when I went and joined the University of Pittsburgh. And I think at the University of Pittsburgh, I was uh, I was either executive or entrepreneur in residence for a while. And then I was I don't know what the hell I saw something <laughs> else. And that, even when I was at CMU, I was uh I think I was uh, executive director, executive director of the master. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? cares? Uh, Are you happy with the job? You know, and I was stuck in, you know, I was working for
0: somebody that worked for somebody that worked for the dean. Okay. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it really doesn't. Yeah. As long as you're happy and you got what you need in life. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Okay, cool. Thank you for that advice. Uh, how about this one now? Uh, i got a couple more questions. I know we're getting, you know, we're, we're edging up towards the end of our time. Okay. How about this one? Uh, I got two buddies. We want to start a business. We all have regular jobs. We're married. We, we have a couple of little kids at home. A couple of toddlers at home uh and we but we want to quit our jobs because we have a we have a sas business idea we want to quit our jobs um give me and again i know we could do a two-hour podcast on it but two or three things you want to share real quick <laughs> yeah don't jump don't jump too quickly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't do it <laughs> Uh, certainly, look, a, you know, the, the less obligations you have beyond yourself, the better it is to be an entrepreneur. Yes. Uh, and, and unless you have uh, a, a, a wife, a partner, whatever, uh, and, and money to last you for at least a year, at, at least, least a, year. a year, I would say, can you go for a year without a, a paycheck and the health care benefits of the U.S. and all the other things? And can you as a family survive that without you being at the baseball games or, you know, babysitting right. or going to the movies or shopping or washing the clothes or whatever? Because that's what it's going to take. That's and right. someone that tells you you can do your day job and do this little moonlighting job and get serious about it in the evenings uh, is lying to you, period. <laughs> uh, so. One of the Mm. things I do in Pittsburgh that I dearly love is I'm a co-director with my uh, friend, Randy Eager, who's also a serial entrepreneur uh, of uh, an organization called the Founder Institute. The Founder Mm -hmm. Institute is a a Mm -hmm. global Mm -hmm. organization. We were having to run the chapter in Pittsburgh, but not that Founder Institute has the the corner on this, but it particularly is very good for the scenario that you uh, you just mentioned, which is... You know, I have an, I have a side hustle. I have a gig that I, I have an idea I've always wanted to do. I know nothing about entrepreneurship. I don't know how to start a business. I've never done it. I have a day job. I have other obligations. What do I do with it? And Founder Institute and programs like it take you through the process of learning. First of all, do you really have a problem that you're solving? Is it a big enough market? Do you have something that has a real value proposition? Could you raise money? Do you need to raise money for it? You know, and it educates you. And at the end of that, when we graduate people, a lot of people say, Wow, I'm glad I didn't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I learned everything about it, but I'm not doing that, you know? Right. And, or there's the other side, there's a handful of them that say, I can't wait. This is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And I, I'm ready to jump in. But You know, you really have to, there's ways to educate yourself by mitigating the risk and understanding that's what you need to do.
0: Great advice. Great advice. Couldn't agree more. Love that. Okay. Two uh, wrap up questions here. You have learned a lot in your, your young life. I know you're a little bit older than me because you got your year. You graduated on on the LinkedIn. So everybody knows how old you are, right? I graduated on
1: 10. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, you got a lot. You got the energy of a 42-year-old, my friend. So I love so that. Your child. I love it. Uh, uh, you're in great shape, by the way. Great, great energy. Great shape for your age. Great job. Great. Congrats. Thank you. Um, if you could look back and call your 21-year-old self coming out of the University of Pittsburgh and tell him anything, you know, and you could go back in time, what would you tell him? Uh, first of all, relax. <laughs>
1: <laughs> chill out. It's going to be okay. (laughs) You know, I had this goal. I think a lot of people, you know, particularly from the 70s, 80s, you know, the Reagan years and the, and, and all kinds of craziness that, uh, you know, you, you had to be a vice president before you were 30 and make a lot right. of money and all that, and I, you know, right. and I was definitely one of those guys on that track, like, oh my God, if I don't have this, if I don't have, and I set all those goals for myself. And you know what, I, I it, it was, that was good. I'm glad I, you know, in some ways I'm glad I did it, but it, it's okay if I hadn't done it either. Mm-hmm. It was going to all work out right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's good to have that drive and competitiveness um, take, take a little bit more time though, because there, you you know,
0: it's okay. you know, there. You don't have to be in as big a hurry as you're in. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Same thing. I agree on that one too, by the way, you, you know, millennials get a hard time for a lot of things, right? Everybody likes to pick on the millennials. I do it as well, but I will tell you that, In general, they are more balanced with their lives. So It's not just about, okay, I got to be VP and make 200 grand a year by the time I'm 30 or I'm a failure. Like, no, so many of them are like, hey, look, man, I got to have my time for my hiking. I got to have my time for this. And if I have a job that allows me to do that and covers food and shelter and water, I'm good to go. I'm good, right. (laughs) <laughs> There's I, mean, you know what? That's okay. That's
1: okay. It's okay.
0: I totally agree. Yeah, it, it's okay. I respect that to a large degree because that's not how we grew up. No, when I grew no, when I grew up, my dad was born in '37, and you know his attitude was, "You will wake up at dawn and you will work until you're so tired you can't move," and that's how <laughs> life is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I mean,
1: I you know, so that was, and particularly then when you go into startups. I mean, startups, you're you know, seven days a week and you know, they throw the pizza underneath mm. the, the door and you <laughs> get, your, get your cola can right. and drink and keep going, man. Right. You know? So, right. but yeah, I, I think that um, it, it's important to have uh, other interests. The it other is. thing, the other interests, well, and uh, going back to my uh, beginning here of, of music, for instance, uh, about 10 years ago, we, we ended up with a piano in the house. Cool. And I ended up uh, taking lessons because I always wanted to play piano. And Love it's, it. hard to, it's hard to learn musical instruments the older you get, just like anything, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, what it, it's a gift. And I, I find myself just walking over to the piano and sitting down. And and it's really important to give yourself that space. Mm-hmm. And you learn something about yourself or about, you know, and I find myself a better thinker at work because I have that
0: other interest. Yes. Right? Yes. So yes. I think it's a good thing. Love it. Last question. If Greg had to put his core purpose in life right now into a sentence, and I, I think our core purpose changes, you know, as we move through life, depending on what's going on. But if, if you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence and let's, let's separate your kids uh, from it. So let's, let's, yeah. let, let's set your family aside for a minute and just, that's that's like the you know the primary core purpose beyond immediate family. What is Greg's core purpose in life? Yeah, I, I,
1: I've had a, I, I when I think about that, that's a great question. By the way, I think I've been on a journey. When you talk about those uh, you know those days in the early '80s and our drive from a, a me person to a we person, and mm-hmm. I I think that. Uh, The older I get, the more I get joy out of giving to others. So I think my Mm. purpose really is to make a difference in somebody else's life. And if I can make a difference helping somebody else, their career decision, a a problem at at home, a a, a class they need to take, whatever it is, uh, I'm always honored when someone asks me for advice. Mm. Uh, I had a student just before this call that actually was at my CMU program a couple of years ago. And they're struggling in their job that they have right now. And they said, hey, can you take uh, some time? Would you take a call? That was probably the highlight of my day today. It was making a difference in that young person's life.
0: Awesome.
1: What an honor to be called by them, first of all. You know? Yes. Yes. And second of all, to feel like you can help them a little bit.
0: Right? And um, there's a lot of joy in that. There's a lot of joy. Great stuff, Greg. Great stuff. It does feel good to help people, doesn't it? Oh. The, <laughs> the absolute best thank you sir i appreciate you being on the riderflex podcast and sharing your story yeah i, I it's a
1: uh, it's a privilege to be here thank you uh for taking the time and inviting me and i, I hope you enjoyed i enjoyed our conversation and i hope your listeners do too